Hello and welcome everyone to Westside Christian Church. Today, John Wade is bringing the teaching to you. So grab a Bible and join us as we study God's Word together. was only rarely used by a few people within the social media sphere, but has since become a social media phenomenon and mainstream term that nearly everyone in the world is familiar with. The word is selfie, and researchers estimate that between 2012 and 2013, usage of the word selfie increased by over 17,000%. The selfie quickly became popular as more and more young people turned their cameras on themselves instead of the world around them to click photo after photo to share on various social media outlets. So popular and normal has the practice of taking a selfie become that everyone from our president and his daughters to the Pope has taken at least one selfie or been a part of selfies. And as popular as the taking of selfies is and continues to be, I can't help but think about how self-centric our culture is, that we would rather turn our cameras on ourselves than on the world around us. A generic Google search that I did this week for the word self returned over 1.6 billion results in under one second. If I were to Google other synonyms related to self or other things regarding self that added to that term, I'm sure I would find more. The glorification of exaltation and exaltation of me, myself, and I is present in practically everything from the magazines and books we read to the TV shows that we watch. Me, myself, and I has become the unholy trinity of our day, and it is packaged in so many different ways, and it seems so very good to us, even in the church. Personal choice, individual preference, personalization, they all stand as monuments to our value of self in these times. Words like self-determination, self-actualization, self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-esteem, self-help, and even do-it-yourself are everywhere in our culture. And while individuality, personal strength, and independence are not bad things in and of themselves, we've somehow managed to take them to the ultimate extreme to make self the center of our lives and around which everything hinges and turns. In our self-centric existence, we live as though the center of the universe is us, and everything revolves around me. But what does God think about our selfie culture? How does God look upon our culture and our world where we have tried to replace Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with me, myself, and I? Does God care? If you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to take a look at a man who, even in our self-centric culture, probably would be looked at as selfish. His name was Jacob. And maybe you've heard of Jacob before. 
If you've grown up in church or you spent any time at all as a Christian and, and read some of the Old Testament, you've probably heard his name at least, at least once or twice. When we first encounter Jacob in the Bible, we see from the very beginning, he's very much like much of our selfie culture. He's self-centered with a me-first attitude. And here's the funny thing, he isn't even born yet when this starts to appear. What do I mean by that? Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 21, where we meet Jacob's mom and dad, Isaac and Rebekah. But there's a problem. Rebekah is childless at the time. She can't have kids. We don't know why exactly, but we do know that she has been physically unable to have children. And Isaac begins to pray on behalf of Rebekah. He says, please, God, just give us a child. And God answers their prayers. And not only did he answer their prayers and give them a child, he gave them two. Let's read Genesis chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. It says this, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins and she asks what I think a lot of people, especially moms who become pregnant with twins, ask, Why me, God? I'm just kidding. It's not because it's twins. It's because they're actually fighting inside of her that she starts to ask this question. Why is this happening? What is going on inside? This is not normal. They jostle each other. Now the word there is, is, isn't really translated all that well. It's not depicting the word in Hebrew as it really seems uh, most clearly in the word smash. Okay? The word smash is a better word than jostle right there. They're smashing each other inside of her. It's like a UFC fight in her womb. All right? It's WWE going on in there. They're flying off the top rope and just tackling each other. Even before they're born, these twins are having some massive sibling rivalry. And Rebecca's like, why is this happening? There's this conflict going on inside of her body. And I think it's interesting because for Christians, there is a conflict inside of us all between making everything about us versus denying ourselves and glorifying God. But I'm jumping ahead. Back to Jacob. So Jacob and Esau, these two twins, they're already fighting in the womb. And then this happens, verse 24 through 26. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, meaning red. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to him. Do you see what happens? Jacob was grasping at Esau's heel. In fact, that's actually what his name means. It means heel holder or heel grabber or simply grabber. Interestingly, his name can also mean deceiver and supplanter. So Esau's coming out first, but Jacob is grasping and clawing, trying desperately to be born first. And I know that may seem kind of silly, because we think, oh, they're just babies, right? What does it matter who's born first? First of all, uh, you've had kids or been around little ones for more than five minutes. You know that kids are inherently selfish. They don't have to be taught it. 
It's part of their nature as a human being. They are selfish. They seem to learn the word mine without being taught it. They seem, seem to learn no when they don't want to do something without being taught it. Okay? It's a matter of our nature as human beings. Secondly, in the order of birth, it matters quite a bit in the Old Testament. In that time, in that culture, being born first was very important because it meant you had certain birthrights that your sibling did not have. You got a bigger piece of the inheritance. You got the bigger blessing. And you're about to see this conflict, this attitude of me first, show up throughout much of Jacob's life. It wasn't just at birth that he was about me and grasping after Esau's heel. As he begins to grow up, we see this selfish attitude and this grasping at what Esau has become a pattern of behavior. Genesis chapter 25, let's pick up in verse 27. Fast forward a few years, and you're going to see the boys. They're grown up. We're not exactly sure how old, but they're grown up. It says this, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Esau grew up, and he was a manly man. He was a doodly dude. He was an outdoorsman, a hunter, a man of the open country. He was a field and stream magazine type of guy. All right? He liked to shop at Bass Pro Shop. He knew how to skin and butcher a deer. He knew how to pluck a turkey. He knew how to tie the best fishing flies for catching the biggest fish. He knew all the best fishing spots. He was his daddy's favorite son. But Jacob was not. Jacob wasn't a field and stream type of guy. He was more of a country living type of guy. He liked to stay at home among the tents. And he was his mother's favorite. Jacob was a mama's boy. And you can see this isn't going to end well, right? Verse, tw uh, verse 29 through 34 says this. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Grasping. Verse 30 32. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau comes in one day from working out in the fields, maybe hunting, says, I'm starving, I'm dying, I need food, I need nourishment. I don't know how old these, these guys are at this point. Doesn't really tell us when it says they grew up, but I'm envisioning teenagers, especially myself as a teenager whenever I'd come home from school. I'm dying, I'm famished, I need food. We never have any food in this house. Any parents can relate? Yeah. I just need a meal, I need a snack. And rather than just giving his brother something to eat, Jacob decides, <laughs> opportunity's a knocking. He decides to take advantage of his brother's hunger and to take something he desperately wants from his brother, 
the birthright. Jacob says, oh, I'll give you some food. Oh, do you smell that? Oh, man, it's been stewing all day. It's so good. I'll give you some for a price. Anything, you just name it. What do you want? I'm hungry. Your birthright. All right, it's yours. No, you swear it to me. I want your birthright. And he swears an oath promising his birthright to Jacob. Think about that for just a second. Jacob's like, I wasn't physically first. I tried, but I wasn't physically born first. But I'll be able to have that birthright. Esau swore it to me. I'll be first, because it's all about me. Thousands of years before the camera, before Facebook, before Twitter or Instagram, Jacob still had a selfie kind of mind where it was all about me, myself, and I. But the story doesn't end there. The birthright's only part of the importance of being firstborn. There's also something bigger that Jacob plans to take from his brother. The blessing. Skip over to Genesis chapter 27. For the sake of time, I'm going to summarize the story. Your homework, and you got homework today, is to go back and read the story for yourself later. It's years later. Isaac is an old man. He can't really see all that well. His sight has started to deteriorate. And he's starting to think about death. He's starting to think about, what will I leave my children when I'm gone? And he calls his oldest son, Esau, in and says, I'm dying. And I have this last request of you. Go hunt down some game and make me that stew of yours that I like so much. And then I will give you my blessing. And I can die happy knowing that I left you something good. And so Esau sets out to do just that. But Rebecca had overheard the conversation, and she goes and tells Jacob. And Jacob, the deceiver, the grabber, is about to deceive his father and grab the blessing from his brother, taking everything, all the inheritance, all the blessing, all for himself. With his mother's help, Jacob dresses up, disguising himself as Esau. Remember, we got that funny little detail in the text about Esau being hairy and Jacob not being hairy. It's kind of a weird detail in the story, right? You read the biblical account, you're like, why would it record that he's hairy and Jacob's not hairy? Why does, that's kind of weird. I mean, physical descriptors of your main characters in a story is one thing, but that seems like an odd detail. Here's why it's important, because Jacob not only puts on Esau's clothes, but puts on animal skin to make himself feel like Esau. He quickly prepares some of his best food and bread, and with his mom's help, he goes in to deceive his father. And the really sad part is that he succeeds. His father is doubtful at first because Jacob's voice doesn't sound like Esau's. But the skin feels like his skin. The arms, the clothes, they smell like Esau after a long day out in the open country. It smelled like dirty laundry. 
smelled like teenage boy. <laughs> Heard somebody go, ugh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> smelled like his son, his oldest, his favorite. And so Isaac is tricked by Jacob into giving the blessing that is rightly due to Esau. And Isaac prays and he lays hands on Jacob, giving him his blessing and asking God to bless him too. After it's done, Jacob hurries out just in time as Esau arrives. Needless to say, both Isaac and Esau are very confused for a moment. When he comes in and says, all right, I'm ready for my blessing. I already gave it to you. What? You were just in here like 10 seconds ago, and I gave you the blessing. They finally start putting two and two together and realize what Jacob's done. And Esau, realizing that everything has now been taken from him, says in verse 36, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac has nothing left to offer his oldest son. And in anger, Esau cries out, even plotting silently to kill his brother for his deception and theft. Our world is just like this. It's a funny story, preacher story from a preacher that I heard one time, but it illustrates how early on this selfie culture begins to seep into who we are. This preacher had a couple of sons, two sons. They had just gotten finished preaching through the same story. And he had read them the story again at bedtime. And the youngest one, when it was time to pray, the father reached out hands to put them on each son's head as he prayed. And the youngest one took the right hand, the hand of blessing, and put it on his head and swapped his father's left hand over to the oldest. And he looks at his brother and he says, Just call me Jacob, son. Five years old. Five years old. Isn't it just like our culture? Doesn't it seem like the world around us is this constant and never-ending grabbing of deception, of trying to get me first? The self-centric me, myself, and I mentality that seems to be at the core of human nature and seen in the countless ways that we interact with those around us, and perhaps especially in the way that we choose to portray ourselves, the selfie. Such a silly thing. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. Don't think that I'm down on selfies. I've taken a few, especially in silly hats at VBS, because it's fun. 
But there are people who spend hours at this silly task, finding that perfect angle, that perfect depiction of self. We find the right angle, the perfect filter. We spend hours trying to portray ourselves in the perfect light, setting up all these things as idols to our own glorification. And I wonder what God thinks in the midst of all of this. Let's go back to the story of Jacob. It's so very sad that Jacob felt the need to do all of this since before Jacob was even born, there was a plan in place. Did you know that? There was a prophecy that Jacob would be blessed. But rather than trusting God's word and waiting on God's timing, he chooses, I'm going to be a self-made man. Anybody ever heard that? We're obsessed with self-made men in American culture. He decided he was going to take what he wanted and what he deserved because that's what God's plan was. God wants me to be first, so I'm just going to help him. Really? God needs your help? God's plan was for you to deceive your brother and your father. God's plan was that you should think about yourself and indulge yourself and glorify yourself and trust yourself and exalt yourself and pretty well worship yourself. I think not. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some folks from Scripture who think a lot like Jacob does. God needs my help. God needs me. I'll just do this. Or I don't even care what God thinks. I'm going to do what I want to do. Self. We are going to look at some folks from scripture like Saul, David, Solomon, and others that decide that self is important not just a little bit, but it is important above all. They decide to worship self rather than God. And may I suggest to you that our problem as a culture, it's not a politician, it's an attitude. Our problem in our culture is this attitude of self-worship. Our problem in the church today, and many of our churches, is a problem of self. And it isn't about selfies. It isn't about our silly little pictures and self-portraits. It's about our attitude of worshiping self, of thinking about self, of glorifying self rather than glorifying God. And it isn't a problem of Splitting our time between the two. It isn't a problem of thinking about ourselves rightly. It's a problem of we don't think about God at all. What if we decided that in a Jacob world, 
we were going to be a Jesus kind of people. What would happen if we set aside all of our selfie sticks and we walked away from the mirrors, we turned off the social media for a moment and chose instead to make the focus of our existence the worship of our creator? What would happen if we tried to glorify God with the same amount of energy that we try to glorify ourselves? What if we took Jesus' words seriously when he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 25, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Guys, that isn't a metaphor. That was a literal statement to his followers. You want to follow after me? You got to be ready to die. You got to be ready to die. And some of them did literally take up their crosses and follow after Jesus. Church tradition tells us that when it came time for Peter to be martyred, when it came time for him to be executed, that they were going to crucify him in the same way that Jesus was crucified. But Peter, in one of the most humble moments, I think, in his life, says, I don't deserve to be crucified in the same way as my Savior. And his last request was that they would turn the cross upside down. Crucify him upside down. Because he did not think himself worthy to die in the same manner, with the same way that Jesus died. It's so funny, all of our horror movies that everybody watches around this time of year, they always depict the upside down cross. It's satanic! No, that's the Petrine cross. That is a sign of humility. That's Peter's cross that he said, I'm not worthy! Peter, who at one point in his life is so worried about himself that to a servant girl, not to a soldier, not to some dignitary, not to some important person, a servant girl, a little girl, he denies that he even knows Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. He goes from that, so worried and obsessed with self, to being so selfless that he says, I don't care. Don't crucify me in the same way. Turn me upside down. I don't care if it's humiliating. I don't deserve to die as he died. In our selfie culture, there's this underlying desire, and there's nothing wrong with the underlying desire behind the self-obsession. To be loved, to be accepted, to be recognized, to be known. These are not bad things, but they can become bad things when that is our entire focus. When instead of finding the love that we need, the acceptance that we need, the recognition that we need, and knowing our identity properly, 
instead of finding all of these things, the answers to them in God's word, we try to find them in the number of clicks that we get and the number of likes that we can obtain and the number of followers that subscribe me ask you, do you really think all of your followers, all the people that click on your page really love you? What if instead of plastering our pictures all over the internet, what if instead of trying to find our identity in other people, we find these needs of ours fulfilled by following Jesus, by denying ourselves, by sacrificing our lives daily in service and worship to God. What would a church like that look like? To be honest with you, I don't even know because I don't see it in our culture Friends, it's time for a change. As individuals and as a church, it's time for us to deny our selfie. Not the silly photos that we take, but the attitude underlying so much of what we do, the worship of me, myself, and I. It's time to de- deny ourselves and to display Christ's likeness in our words, in our deeds. And for some of you today, that may be starting with a simple acknowledgement that you believe in Jesus, that you will confess that he is Lord, that you trust that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do. That's faith. And my challenge to you is, do you trust him? We're going to have a time of invitation where I invite you, if you need to make that decision, to come forward. For the rest of you who are Christians, it's a time to self-examine. Take a good, hard look at yourself at what you do, what you spend your time on, what you invest your money in. Look at all of your works, all of your effort. They will show you what you value. One of the things I greatly fear is that one day all of our stuff will testify against us about who we really valued most in our lives. That God will look at all of our stuff and say, that's a testimony of who you really cared about most. This is a time to self-examine for you as a follower of Christ. Who's your commitment to? Who's your worship to? 
But for those of you who haven't made that decision, this is the time. Do not wait. If you're ready to declare that He is Lord, that He is Savior, that He is God, and that you will worship Him alone, then this is a time to come forward as we stand and as we sing together. Thanks for joining us for the message today. If you would like more information about this and other teachings, or you'd just like to know more about Jesus, visit our website at wccjb.org or come visit us at 1405 Persimmon Ridge Road in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Check our website and Facebook page for service times. We hope you join us again and that we'll see you soon.